This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. polishing the giant nut ahead of Thursday's finale, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Whiplash Captain Matt Vasquez. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have six news items for you today. First up, Copperhead Captain Robert Cowan is stepping down as the leader of his team and says he hasn't decided yet if he plans to return to the competition at all. Robert made the announcement on his YouTube channel on Sunday, saying, quote, I'm just kind of over it. It's so much work and so much money, and then you have everything edited and cut out. Robert is the second high-profile captain to hang up the transmitter this season, after Yeti Captain Greg Gibson announced on this show that he would not be returning to Season 7. Going forward, Copperhead will instead be captained by friend of the pod Luke Quintal, who runs Rumham X and Kitten Mittens at Norwalk Havoc. If you'd like to watch the full announcement, look for Robert Cowan's Witch Doctor recap video on his YouTube channel. I want to pause here. I know this was, um, I mean, at least for me, a pretty shocking announcement. I would love to get your thoughts. I mean, we're losing one of the most like prolific and high-profile content creators and captains in the sport. And Robert kind of came out and said publicly really what was on his mind, which was interesting. I would love to get your thoughts on uh, on this announcement. Um. I'll I'll jump in first. I so I think Robert Cowan does the combat robotics community such a huge service in in the content that you know he invests his time uh, and his experience into. I think that it really has helped usher in a better uh, wave of uh, of roboticists. I think I've learned from several of his videos, even just in my first kind of steps into um, uh, you know the sport. He uh, he, he, he communicates the information really well, even to someone who uh, is does not have a traditional engineering background like like myself. And like these are the types of people that you need to kind of foster and create an, an environment for to thrive, because um, that's an asset that's going to walk out the door. And, you know, I think it's um, it's also something that hasn't really surprised me all that much because Robert Cowan seems like somebody who and, and you know, pardon my language. He does not really seem like the kind of person who hangs around for a lot of bullcrap. And uh, if if something um, is uh, is irking him and and he and he is upset by something, he's not the kind of person who is going to 
you know, hang around and see how things play out. He's just going to be like, nope, going to go do my own thing. See you later. And uh, that's kind of what I see that just played out. Yeah, I'm going to agree with everything Chris said. I mean, it stinks that Robert no longer sees the value in this being like, you know, taking up his time and utilizing his time. I guess it didn't take long for him being a team captain to kind of realize that. Uh, I'm glad that Copperhead is still going to be around in its form, but I cannot blame Robert Cowan for his decision at all. That makes sense. Speaking of retiring, the team behind P1 this week revealed that their bot will be getting shelved at the end of Season 6 due to its design not being as competitive as it could be. Team Captain Brandon Zielinski writes, quote, P1 as a robot will be put on hiatus for the time being while we embark on a multi-year project to develop a crazy, innovative new weapon for it. We don't just want to put a vertical spinner on it. He did allude to the team applying to Season 7 with a brand new bot and urged fans to stay tuned. In related news, in a blog post published this week, Team Hypershock implored the show's 10,000 diehard fans, of which we count ourselves, to take a longer view of BattleBots and remember that it's a TV show built for the 1 million-ish viewers who aren't diehard fans. In the post, the team says the so-called filler content that BattleBots films, such as the slow motion shots of the bots, laser eyes, and the like, are designed to make the show self-contained and easy to understand for casual viewers. On over to Las Vegas, where BattleBots artist-in-resident David Fay is auctioning off a -a one-of-a-kind metal sculpture made from damaged and discarded bot parts from Season 6. The auction opens on April 7th on eBay. Proceeds will go to the late Grant Imahara's Steam Foundation, which helps underprivileged kids get access to science, technology, engineering, art, and math education. Check out the link in this week's show notes. Meanwhile, if you're looking for a really cool place to watch this season's finale and you happen to live in California or Texas, have we got the news story for you. The teams behind Sub-Zero, Dragon Slayer, and Switchback will be hosting a watch party Thursday evening at the Dallas Makerspace in Dallas, Texas. In California, the teams behind Tombstone, Tantrum, Blip, Hijinks, Bite Force, Malice, Duck, Scorpios, and Glitch have rented out an IMAX theater in downtown San Jose and are hosting a Q&A panel the Bot Bash Party Rental Robots, and real heavyweight BattleBots from the show. Tickets to the San Jose event cost $15 each, and seating is extremely limited. Look for the link on Eventbrite. Uh, I want to go. <laughs> I want to go. Yeah, I um, I feel like this is the event of the season. You have so many captains. I cannot... Uh, I mean, like, we have heard, I wish I should say, I do not know, but we have heard that the last episode of the season has a little bit more controversy as well. So I would love to be uh, a fly on the wall for that Q&A discussion. Um, so I just, uh, I don't know, if you can make it and if you're in the Bay Area and you have 15 bucks and you're free on Thursday night, um, I would absolutely 100% urge you to buy a ticket because I think it is going to be Really fun and possibly a little bit spicy. So uh, yeah, go and check that out. They should have a stream or something. Um, I mean, I would like fifteen dollars is worth just being in in the presence of awesome bots and builders and stuff. But like maybe those out there that are on the East Coast or international would would just love to listen in and be that fly on a wall. I don't know if that's something that they're going to do or if they're going to maybe record it and upload it or something or if it's just that you know uh, that session, but. I'll pay $15 to just watch virtually. Yeah, I would pay $15 to watch virtually. 
I'll pay thirty dollars. Yeah. No, I'll pay thirty dollars. <laughs> um, I guess. I mean, now that I suppose I'm talking straight to some of these captains, um, you know, if you're listening to this and you'd like to just give us a call on your little personal phone and we could listen to the Q and A, uh, I would not say no to that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I would say that's the most interesting part. I don't know if you're if you're there in the audience and you want to send us like a video of it too. Um, that would be totally cool and really fun. So, okay, cool. I hadn't planned to ask, but uh, yeah, I guess Paul or Hal, um, you know, if you're listening, I'd, I'd love to I'd love to hear hear what's said. Okay, cool. Help us, Paul. Yes, help us, Paul. And finally, a number of BattleBots teams made eyebrow-raising announcements on April Fool's Day this past week. Arguably, the best April Fool's Day announcement came from the team behind Bloodsport, which says it's working on a new weapon blade this coming season that's made entirely out of cake. It's delicious and intriguing. Look for the link on the team's Facebook page. And that's it for this week's news. Now, before we get into our interview with Matt, it's time yet again for Snap Decisions, where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's fight card and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we had 83 people participate in Snap Decisions. One person, and I'm talking about one person total, managed to call eight out of eight fights correctly. And that person was, drumroll please, Thomas Lum. Congratulations, Thomas. The easiest fight to call last week was Sawblaze versus P1, with 81 out of 83 people correctly predicting that Sawblaze would win. The biggest upset was Riptide versus Uppercut, with just 15 people correctly predicting that Riptide would win. Now, uh, before we get into this week's predictions, I want to pause and get your thoughts on the round of 16. We saw several prominent shots of me in the crowd, really the most important uh, piece of news this week. Uh, Riptide ripping through Uppercut's foamy wheels, Blip and Tantrum inching one step closer to a possible showdown. Minotaur knock out the reigning champion, which was so exciting. Sawblaze with another convincing disassembly of its opponent. And controversy and conspiracy theories in the Whiplash Cobalt fight. Your thoughts on the round of 16, Kyle, Chris, and Lindsay. Can I just jump right in and 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 pour one out for Minotaur? What a f- that was one of the best fights i have seen and driving displays i have seen period full stop i've always been like team minotaur obviously there's like you know extra um there's some extra flavor going on this season you know that that's that's tied in with what's happening outside of battle bots but like to to watch the team come back from how they struggled uh in in their last uh performance at at battle bots and now like they're just on this this bull rush, so to speak, uh, and you know Daniel's like flying it, like flying and 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 gyro gyro, uh, gyro dancing out of the way of the literal champion of BattleBots and and eking out that 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 victory. It was so cool. I was ecstatic. Um, uh, and then also, you know, the the Sawblaze and and P one uh, match was 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 really great. You know, I think it was a fair end. For P1, who's had this awesome season, like what other bot could you, you know, really kind of go out against here in, in the end of the bracket? And they even took so many big hits before uh, before the match was over. Uh, you know, really great job uh, to uh, to Brandon Zelensky and, and and the team there. P1, um, it was. Uh, I'm so looking forward to what kind of crazy concepts they come up with down the road. But all in all, I mean, it was a 
the, 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 the good sides of the episode were incredible. And the downsides were like, what the heck happened with Whiplash and Cobalt? Does anyone have a little bit more insight there? Well, the good news is that we are going to hear a complete breakdown of the Whiplash Cobalt fight in like two minutes <laughs> when we have Matt Vasquez on. Just a little bit of the sausage, uh, how it gets made. We are uh, we're recording this section of our show uh, before our interview with Matt, so we honestly have no idea what he's going to tell us. <laughs> um, but we are going to do like a complete breakdown of it. It's kind of interesting because there's the Cobalt version of the story, there's the Whiplash version of the story, and then we saw on Reddit um, earlier this week the BattleBots version of the story. Um, and it seems like there's this kind of story that's coalescing around perhaps some miscommunication at the box, perhaps a really aggressive kind of adherence to the schedule, perhaps um, just like BattleBots itself, not giving Whiplash the space and the grace to reset the match or to rerun the match um, and to have yourself eliminated in the top 16 um, because of a technicality, because of like a really close interpretation of the rules is heartbreaking and unacceptable. Um, (laughs) Like I would be so upset if I was Matt and I'm really looking forward to asking Matt his opinions. Um, Maybe Matt's not upset. I don't know. We honestly haven't talked to him yet. (laughs) So um, I guess we're gonna have to see here in like five minutes or whatever uh, when, when we do talk to him. One thing that is really hard to swallow about the whole thing is that Whiplash had two main or two, you know, regular season fights, and then both of their postseason or championship fights, whatever you want to call them, were both, you know, YouTube exclusives. Um, and that was last year's, you know, number two bot. That is not like someone that A doesn't put on a good show. They always put on a good show. And B, we're we're, you know, one of the best bots there last year. Um, so it it is just very like bizarre and troubling that they wanted to rele- you know relegate them to YouTube but so that's weird um i don't want to dwell on that too much cuz i know we will talk to Matt about it and it is a point of contention but um i just want to echo chris what you were saying about minotaur um a- around the minute and a half mark i was literally getting teary eyed and like made chris hold my hand <laughs> Because it was just really emotional knowing what the um, team behind Minotaur and Daniel Freitas has ha- have had to go through this year and not being able to compete last year. And then having, you know, kind of an off season the year before, this is a long time in the making. And, you know, Daniel Freitas on a good day is already operating at like a 9.5 on the emotional scale. So, you know, I can forgive him for being extremely ecstatic at the end of that match because it was like such a cathartic moment for him. Um, So, you know, I'm not, I don't really find all those calls about like poor sportsmanship compelling, especially when, you know, after he like did his run around screaming, he went over to the end game guys two times and, and, you know, hug them and give them handshakes. And the end game guys seemed like they were fine with it. So I don't think we need to make an issue out of something that there isn't. Um, but you know, like also we can't, we can't, uh, go on without saying hats off to 
the team behind Endgame because for a long time they were looking like they were just going to be absolutely unbeatable. Um, and I know that a lot of people had them to take it all this season and they put on an, an incredible show all season long. So way to go to both of them, to all of them. Um, and you know, it's, it's such a rock, paper, scissors sometimes how, how these, um, you know, matches turn out, but what a season. Amazing. And well said. Okay. Are we ready to get into snap decisions? Any, any other final thoughts on the, the round of 16? Okay, good. All right. Um, so I was thinking for uh, for our final round of snap decisions, I would do something a little differently. And instead of going through all of the fights one by one, because they will get very confusing very quickly, <clears throat> I was thinking we could simplify it and also simplify it for the fans. And just tell me who you think is going to win the giant nut. So... Um, are we are we ready? <laughs> Maybe we could start with Kyle. Kyle, on Thursday, who do you think will win the giant nut? It's binary, Kyle. You're either right or you're wrong. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think that Sawblaze wins the giant nut. Okay. Um, all right. I'm sure that's uh, music to Lindsay's ears. Maybe we can go with Lindsay next. Lindsay, who do you think is going to win the giant nut on Thursday? I think that Sawblaze <laughs> is going to win the giant nut. Okay. All right, Chris. Uh, your prediction for Thursday, who will win the giant nut? Um, I don't want to say it. I think Hydra is going to win the giant nut. What? Really? Yeah. Um, Chris, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Why do you think it's going to be Jake Ewert and Hydra? Well, here, here's the thing. All right. If you're looking at eight teams that are left, um, if, if they were all going to Rochambeau and go to head to head and be able to whittle themselves down to the best spot, I would agree that, uh, Sawblaze certainly belongs in that, um, in that coveted spot. Right. But, you're putting Sawblaze early on in this bracket with another really, really destructive bot that is incredibly aggressive, and who knows what could come of that. So you're 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 almost kind of canceling out some of these matchups that would ultimately allow Sawblaze to filter forward easily. I think I think Minotaur has a great shot against Witch Doctor, and and vice versa. You know, those are two you know two bots that have. There's a powerful drum. There's a powerful vertical. Like someone's going down, and someone's going to go down really, really hard. Um, and then you have Cobalt and Tantrum again. Two very, very destructive bots that are uh, likely going to kill each other. And then you have these two bots that are flippers that are designed to flip, be flipped, and just take a hundred bumps on the noggin, right? And you're giving them a first round pass into that next stage of the bracket where now you have either a Hydra or Blip versus oh. a perhaps staggered Tantrum or a Cobalt. Uh, and I honestly can't see either of those is just being easily able to walk away from a Hydra that might be working right. So now that's my, that's my path for Hydra to make it into uh, the final match. 
Now, whoever comes staggering at the left side of the bracket has to just fight, you know, a flipper in one single match where all it takes is one advantage where he can start juggling you and it's going to go either to the judges because you've been able to hang on long enough or you have a, a bent wheel, something gets locked up, you know, something jars loose from a couple of consecutive flips. And, you know, honestly, if Blip takes Hydra, I I might put Blip in this final position. Um, so really what this comes down to is who do I think is going to win in that corner of the bracket? Now, uh, I, I honestly, I'm really rooting for Minotaur. I really want Minotaur to get the giant nut. They've put the time in. They've worked really hard. I want to see Jameson go get the nut. I think he's put the time in. He's, he's a great human being. And, you know, I love watching... Uh, his design process like unfolds in both uh, Norwalk and in BattleBots. And, you know, I, I think that Tantrum's story last year was phenomenal and Blip's story this year is phenomenal and I want to see them win. But I, uh, I'm i going to go here with the Darkest Timeline and I think that uh, if Hydra is able to pull out that match against Blip, that we're going to see Hydra hoisting the giant nut. The second Darkest Timeline. Oh, yeah, the second Darkest Timeline. The second darkest timeline. If if we go with the darkest timeline, Chris, I am going to sell my television and I'm going to move to a monastery and I'm going to take a vow of silence for a year. Okay? You will not see my face. You will not hear my voice. You won't see my little text messages. Okay? I will literally, I will become a monk, Chris. Okay? If that happens. Um, yeah. And that's not hyperbole. It, well, which one? <laughs> which one? The second darkest timeline? The darkest, the darkest timeline. timeline. Yeah. The darkest timeline. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's 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 not even discuss the darkest timeline <laughs> as a, as an actual possibility. Um, but in the second darkest timeline, do you think that this is something that Hydra is going to be able to um, do you think do you think that this could be in the cards for Hydra? I don't know. I, I we we have invested a lot in the Hydra story this season which kind of like gives me pause. But I honestly don't know. Of of these of these eight bots, I I have no idea who who actually wins. Um but uh yeah, I I it's not it, it like if if Jake wins the giant nut, like I won't I won't throw my television out. I'm not going to move to the woods and become a monk. Like I'll be like, okay, great. All right. We're going to have a reigning champ. Who's, you know, a little obnoxious on social media, but um, I guess there's worse things that could happen. Um, maybe the kids like him. I don't know. Um, I guess, I guess we'll, we'll have to see. Um, I think he represents a, a certain, you know, uh, a certain side of combat robotics. That's very real. And, you know, there are, you know, there is that persona that makes up the, um, you know, the field, just like, you know, we have, uh, we have folks from, you know, uh, NASA backgrounds or MIT, or, uh, you know, they grew up welding on a farm. Like, you know, Jake certainly like has a persona that I feel like is, is a huge part of the, um, the, the, the builder community that's still yet to be discovered and um you know he's he, he can be a bit of a heel and you're right his videos uh it's it's weird when i'm just scrolling through facebook and all of a sudden i have a gigantic jake face in my face um uh who's talking into the camera <laughs> but you know i 
whatever. Uh, you know, I, he, he's got a great bot. He, he's put a ton of uh, thought into it. There's some really brilliant engineering happening inside of it. And if he wins it, I'll feel like he has has deserved it in some of in some of that respect. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I won't lose even a single night's sleep over it. I, I'll still wish that, you know, my my guys Minotaur took it. My thing about Hydra this season, and I actually have them going in. My prediction is it will be Sawblaze versus Hydra for the final match. Um, although I had Hydra crossed out and then I wrote blip and then I crossed blip out and I put Hydra back in. Um, my big question with them in the matches going forward is, you know, I don't think their drive has been right. I think that match against Black Dragon, that was both tactical, just kind of hanging out in the middle and not really, you know, engaging or being aggressive. You know, I, I think he didn't have to necessarily because he was letting Black Dragon kind of, you know, create their own fate by continuing to to um pursue him however i do think it was clear that hydra was not moving very well and blip is i believe still moving quite well and if they can somehow manage to get a bit of the ground game on hydra i think that they're going to be able to outmaneuver them um so i don't know it's a really hard call but that's kind of where my head is at with hydra is their mobility is still a little bit of a question mark to me It'd be so incredible. It'd be so incredible to see something like that play out. Yeah. I'll, I'll say one last thing and then I'll turn it over to Kyle. Um, so like, I, I think if, if Jake is able to win the giant nut on Thursday, it would be the most incredible come from behind story that we've ever seen on BattleBots. Um, when I arrived at the pits, it was the round of 32. And when I was walking around, people were saying Jake is having an awful season. And like, he barely got into the round of 34. And like just Hydra is not on its game this this year. And to see Jake go from upset to upset to upset to like literally upsetting the entire competition, I think would be really huge. Um, so yeah, and like if it happens, like really amazing work and good on him. Um, and yeah, second darkest timeline is really not that dark. The darkest is is really quite dark. Um, Kyle, I would love to get your thoughts. Uh, Sablaze versus who do you think? You know, for the the final match, do you did you fill out the bracket to that point? I did fill out the bracket, and yeah, I, it's Hydra. I mean, um, honestly, I do agree with Chris, and I do think in my heart of hearts that Hydra is going to win the whole thing. Um, but I want Sawblaze to win, right? So if you look at the other side of the bracket, you've got Minotaur versus Witch Doctor. I actually don't know who's going to win that fight. That's going to be an awesome fight. Two of the very best drivers, period, the end of the game. That's just going to be sick. I mean, I, I cannot wait to see how that fight goes. Um, but it doesn't matter. Whoever wins that fight is not going to be able to beat Sawblaze um, or Riptide, honestly, even if Riptide does end up pulling out a win over Sawblaze somehow. Um and then on the other side of the bracket, you've got your, you know, you got your Hydra winning pretty quick and easy in its first matchup. And, um, and I think that you're going to end up having, um, I think you're going to have Hydra taking that whole side of the bracket. I, I don't see any way that they wouldn't, you know what I mean? I just don't see any way that they wouldn't. So that's the other one. I have no idea who's going to win Cobalt versus Tantrum. That's going to be a weird fight. Um, I'm excited to see who wins it, but I have no idea. That one's going to be hard. So, yeah, 
I am rooting for the bad guy. And just so everybody knows, the darkest timeline is the bot with the goatee, clearly. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I am really looking forward to Thursday, uh, partly because people keep talking about uh, we have one more controversy left in the bag, and I just cannot wait to see what it is. Um, we will be opening up our prediction thread here on Facebook later today. And you don't have to send us like um, all eight fights or whatever. Uh, just send us who you think will win the giant nut. I think it's going to be really fun. And we should have a lot of winners this uh, this week. So uh, definitely go and look for that post on Facebook. And um, okay, that wraps up the uh, final edition of Snap Decisions. After the break, our interview with Whiplash Captain Matt Vasquez. Sponsored by Max Amps. This interview is brought to you by MaxAmps and the company's new exclusive line of combat robotics batteries called Max Combat. Max Combat battery packs are built in the U.S. and designed for both durability and performance for combat robotics. Max Combat batteries come with custom wraps, including your team's logo, internal hard skins for extra protection, puncture-resistant wire sleeves, and a custom metal Max box for charging and storage. Check out the Max Combat section at MaxAmps.com. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, Whiplash Captain Matt Vasquez. Matt's parents have been competing on BattleBots since the original run of the show, and his brother Jason grew up building and fighting robots as soon as they could hold a transmitter. Today, Matt builds and drives the family's main bot, Whiplash, while Jason fields a defender. Both bots earned spots in the top 34, with Defender going out in the play-in rounds, while Whiplash was eliminated in the top 16 due to a series of controversial decisions in the battle box. We're catching up with Matt right after his fight with Cobalt. We're looking forward to getting into all things Whiplash in the hour ahead, so welcome back to the show, Matt. Hey guys, I'm excited to be back. This is a super fun podcast. It's uh, yeah, it's always exciting when we're invited. <laughs> And I believe you are um, an official member now of the Three Timers Club, which I think only uh, uh, Will Bales and maybe you now hold. So and, can, and Tom Hanks and Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Company. So welcome back. Um, all right. So this has been um, an unusual season, let's say for yeah. battle boss as a whole, but then more specifically for whiplash, yeah. um, you know, two fights in the, the main tournament and then the decision to move your, both of your, um, you know, playoff matches to YouTube. So I don't want to get into that just yet. Cause I know that there are going to be listener questions around that. So Let's just jump in right to, you know, Cobalt versus Whiplash, because I think there's a lot of questions around um, what happened there. It's circling around people's minds. It, there's like different sides of every story. Um, so let's just jump in. I'll, we'll give you, you know, the space you need to kind of describe what happened. But in the highlight that the production team showed on TV, the show made it seem like Cobalt's weapon had um, just wouldn't stop spinning. Um, is that... I guess what I'll, I'll say is you tell us your side of what happened and, and how you saw the fight go down. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so the fight itself, just, you know, at the event when we're physically there, it was, a uh, 
you know, beginning of the fight. Well, actually, first I'll start with strategy before this fight. So, obviously, Whiplash does not have... Overall, we have a pretty great record, but our record against vertical spinners is pretty terrible. Like, that's where 99% of our losses come from whenever we fight a vert. So, we knew for this fight, we needed, like, a fundamental change from how we approached verts in previous seasons. So, part of that was not running the spinner, taking that weight, putting it in a ton of armor, and just forks and wedgelets and just things, you know, keep us from being hit and make it so if they did hit us, that we could survive the hits. Because in the past, like, when we're winning a fight, like, we're doing really well, we can control our opponent, but the second we get hit, it only takes, like, one hit to disable us pretty bad. So, and that's kind of part of having two full weapon systems. Having a lifter and a spinner doesn't leave a lot of weight for armor or, like, you know, really chassis. Our robots built out a quarter-inch aluminum all welded together, which is, wow. like, weight level <laughs> uh, construction. So we're, like, skirting on the edge of what should be done in a heavyweight, like, uh, construction-wise, just to make weight. So I figured, you know, take some weight, put it in armor, put it in wedgelets, uh, put it in the lifter spatula. The lifter spatula this year, in previous seasons, like, it has been hit and bent to, you know, terrible shapes. And, you know, the second that thing's hit and bent out of shape, we really can't do anything. This year, it, before it was like quarter inch AR500. This year, it was like a solid steel block. It was like four inches wide of steel, inch thick of steel, like pretty wow. indestructible. So yeah, the idea was that we wanted to be able to take a hit better. And we didn't want to have to worry about just getting, you know, making one mistake and getting annihilated, which is kind of ironic <laughs> considering how things went down. But uh, so yeah, so the fight the fight starts, we, I mean, I felt, most of the time in a match, like, within the first five seconds, I pretty much know how the rest of the fight's going to go. It's, you know, for example, our Black Dragon fight last season, like, we go head-to-head, like, we immediately scooped under him, and I'm like, okay, like, as long as I don't drive terribly, like, we'll probably win this fight. And the beginning of the Cobalt fight kind of felt the same. Like, I felt that we went head-to-head, and I'm like, okay, I will get under them if we go head-to-head. As long yeah. as I'm careful, like, we should be all right for this fight. So we got a couple lifts on him. I think it was, you know, two lifts. One of them kind of flipped him over and their spinner bounced him back on the wheels. And the other one was actually kind of cool. We like, they like hovered in the air on our lifter. So then the third one, we push him towards the upper deck. So I'm like, okay, we have a clean shot towards it. Maybe I'll try to lift him on it or, you know, lift him on the screws or something. So I push him into the upper deck. I lift him in the one thing. So obviously we didn't know the upper deck was going to be there until, you know, however soon before the event and yeah like details about the upper deck like exact dimensions of things and how similar it was to the rest of the arena was really kind of unknown because like no one really went in there and I mean maybe some people did I didn't like went in there and looked at it really carefully so the little so kind of the the spike strip along the wall it has spike strip on the corners of the shelf and that spike strip is not laying on the floor it is hovering maybe a quarter inch to a half inch off the ground, mm. which I didn't really know. So I pushed Cobalt into the upper deck, and then our fork gets stuck underneath that because it is not sitting flush on the ground. So once that happens, I'm like, oh, crap, we're stuck. Like, I got a few seconds to get out of here. Otherwise, I know Cobalt's going to go for us. Because, like, for example, if, say, Cobalt had been in that situation, we probably would have left them because we would have, you know, flipped them over and, like, done our thing, but they would have, you know, gotten back on the wheels and were freed, and we wouldn't have done any damage. So in their case, if they see a stuck robot, they're like free shot. We can deal a ton of damage, you know, with this with this free shot. So yeah, it's you know fair game to them. If if you see that opportunity, you gotta take it. So they hit us, we flew through the air, we landed. So at this point, our 
left side drive, I think, was really screwed up. Like they hit the back bar robot and one of the the left drive motor like pod kind of got bent a little bit crooked and that sort of locked up all the chains and so so the left side was pretty locked up. So we were still kind of able to crab walk around. And then Cobalt pushes us into the corner where we can't see the robot. Cobalt turns and then gets stuck on either the floor or debris. It could have been either because that hit, there was lots of pieces of aluminum flying and lots of them landed in that corner. And I didn't get to personally go inspect after the fight. So, I mean, the only thing we have to look is the video and it's kind of hard to tell. So they were either stuck on maybe a piece of damaged floor, maybe a piece of debris. And then I see Cobalt is stuck. I'm like, wait, they're not moving. So I'm like, I'm gonna drive out of this corner. And then one, I have zero view of the robot because we're in the diagonal corner to the to the short corner. So when we're in that corner, I can't see the robot at all. All I know is it's facing towards us, but I can't see it. I have zero view of it. So I'm just like, okay, like go forward. But since part of the drive, the left side drive is out, it veers to the left. So it veers to the left. One of the wedgelets gets stuck on the shelf. And then we are hung up on the shelf. And Cobalt is simultaneously hung up on debris or the floor or whatever it may be. So at that point, they pause the fight because, you know, we kind of asked. So we asked, like, do we like get an unstick? Like, well, we asked for an unstick. And they didn't really know what to do about it. No one was really communicating all that much with us. And... So Cobalt shuts off. Cobalt gets the weapon to stop spinning. And then I guess Trey went in the arena and kind of looked at the situation. And he kind of did not feel comfortable doing any sort of unstick for whatever reason. And in his words, he heard some noise coming from Cobalt that he did not like that maybe made him think that something was unsafe for him to be standing near it, you know, while unsticking a robot, which, you know, to an extent is fair. Like it's, you know, his, his show, if he thinks, even if it's, even if there's like, no, I'm not saying there is no merit to it, but even if there is, like if he thinks it's not safe, that's totally his right to, you know, go in there and make the decision he wants to make. So they decided not to unstick us and the fight went to the judges. So that was pretty much it. It's interesting. Like, you know, I, I know that um, the production, what was presented in the episode made it seem kind of like Cobalt's weapon was unable to, to yes <laughs> and that, that was the source for a lot of debate because i know that one of the reasons uh why a team might not pass safety is because they're like unable to get their weapon to spin down it's a prerequisite in norwalk i know it's 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 something that you need to be able to prove that your bot can do at battle bots mm -hmm. and so that seemed like a very rational reason as to why the match would have yeah. ended there but if that was if that was a something that would bar your bot from competing, uh, it also seems fair that that might be something that would actually kind of disqualify your bot in an unstick scenario. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious why you think they maybe presented it that way instead of just saying, "Oh, well, there was something unsafe about this, uh, and we're going to go to the judges." Why did they make it seem like there was a spin down issue with Cobalt? Uh, <laughs> so that's a that's a very good question. So, like you said, on the highlight on the show on TV, they portrayed it as like Cobalt's weapon was spinning, and it was like a gigabyte or shred rate situation where they had to wait for the batteries to drown out or something like that. And 
obviously if a weapon's actually spinning like that, like no one's stepping foot in the arena. That's, you know, that's, that's not going to happen. So, uh, so yeah, in reality, what happened to Cobalt is when they hit us, a piece, either a piece, I'm pretty sure what it was, was they're basically one of their on off switches was not accessible in the robot. It was either, you know, damaged out of place. They couldn't reach it or part of debris from our robot got lodged in their switch. So one of their two switches, they could not go in and turn off. But the robot itself was not stuck spinning. It was more like, like pretty much what ended up having to happen is someone is like the Cobalt team, when we loaded out, they went in the arena, pulled out the batteries and then loaded up the robots just because they couldn't physically access the switch. So there was something wrong to that extent, but they didn't really portray what was actually wrong. Mostly because I think it would be very hard to explain like why that was unsafe necessarily and how that made sense. I mean, honestly, a big part of it is it's just a lot to explain on TV. And I think half of it is that they figured this makes more sense to the audience. We're not going to bother trying, you know, to figure out a different way to explain this. But um, yeah, and I think, <laughs> I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think another part of it is that there are other situations where they will unstick robots that are in proximity to a da dangerous robot and had basically if they say on the show that they didn't unstick us and their weapon is not spinning that kind of goes against a precedent that's already been set that they will free a robot and in saying that the weapon is spinning that's kind of setting like a new precedent that like you know this is what constitutes a situation too dangerous to unfree a robot or to not unstick a robot but um which it's it's crazy because we've seen folks get into the box with like literally pry bars trying <laughs> to uh, to pull bots you know apart and we've seen that happen even you know in the late stages of uh of the season and so yeah. you know yeah. just with this scenario playing out where we have you know the fate of top 16 being determined that Mm -hmm. they would have tried to afford that in the production budget to give it the extra 15 minutes to 30 minutes to get the fight in. Why do you think, um, w like, what was the timeline looking like? And, and do you think that that was a really big factor in why they decided to just, you know, uh, forego, uh, a, 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 you know, a, a resumed match and, and go straight to the judges? Uh, well, for going a resumed match was their safety concern, I guess, or basically what they deemed unsafe at the time. But as far as like scheduling a rematch, once you get to the tournament rounds, it's like you have a section of the tournament per day. So like the top 16 is in a day. And then like the like top eight, you know, top four the next day, something like that. But it's pretty jammed packed with fights. So rescheduling something like that would have been pretty difficult. And they were having a hard time fitting in all the content they wanted to film anyway and saw the YouTube fights. So, uh, you know, that's uh, I, I think that's definitely the reasoning there why they didn't bother trying to do a rematch or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, as far as, like, the, the controversial portions of this, I'd say, like, at the time, we didn't really feel, like, I mean, obviously, we were not happy with how things went. But we didn't really feel like we were wronged that much. I mean, it's kind of, they said it didn't feel unsafe. but kind of. Well, without spoiling anything, I think things that happen later in the tournament that kind of contradict how they treated us in this situation are kind of what bothered us more. So it wasn't necessarily the fight, but it was maybe things that happened later that didn't, 
align with it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. At the end of the day, it's also a TV show. They make the decisions they want to make depending on a million different factors. And, uh, you know, that's a uh, <laughs> consistency in the rules and refing isn't necessarily like the highest priority. The highest priority is having a watchable TV show. <laughs> so yeah. it's a, it's a hard balance. And that's something that I've kind of had to learn, especially this season, I think halfway through, I really came to terms with the fact that, you know, this is a television show. It's like a competition that's filmed for a television show's sake. But like we all, and I think rightly so, want to treat it like a sport. Like Mm -hmm. we want it to be consistent. We want it to be fair. Um, And it's been, it's been tough this season trying to reconcile those two, like, sometimes competing aspects of, of what BattleBots is. You know, it's a, it's a hard thing to solve. And like, when you compete in BattleBots, you also have to think like, what do I want out of this? Do I want to be in like a clean cut competition where there's, you know, no BS of any kind, which I mean, on any TV show, there's always BS of some kind, <laughs> like no matter what it is. So if you're signing up for BattleBots, that's a, I mean, they do a pretty good job, I'll say, but it's not, there's always going to be something when it's a t- for a TV show. It's never going to be like a clean cut, like the rules are set in stone. Because I mean, even in the rules, you read it, what happened to us was perfectly legal. It says in the rules, like, we will attempt an unstick, and but it's to the discretion of the BattleBots crew if they want to or not. So like, there's always that one rule in the rules that says, these are the rules, but if we don't want to, we don't have to, kind of. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I don't know. The, the, to be to be perfectly honest, the lesson I took from this: don't get stuck. Because <laughs> good lesson. The, the other things you you really can't change them. It's that's how it's gonna be. So it's. Uh, I'm glad to hear your next design is actually going to be a duck boat. So. Uh... <laughs> um. So I guess one more question because I'm very curious. Um, so you, I think you said that someone from Cobalt had to go in and remove the battery from the bot so that they could remove the bot from the arena. But yeah. would like if wouldn't that still be unsafe? Uh, well, I mean, to be fair, loading the robots from the arena is unsafe in the first place because <laughs> there's everyone at for a given you know few seconds is next to a live robot. Yeah, yeah with their arm reached over it, so it's. Even with safety locks in, like, it's still pretty dangerous. So um, I think it was more Trey did not want to be standing three feet away from Cobalt for however long it took to unstick us with his back towards it. Fair. Which, I mean, that's that's fair. But I don't know. Like I said, these things, they don't always make the same decisions in the same situation. So it's right. that's, where it gets, that's where it gets messy. And, like, as far as that's concerned, like, that has nothing to do with what the teams do. BattleBots just makes its decision based on, like I said, a million different factors. If we could have been on, I mean, I, I don't think in a million years, BattleBots was thinking like, oh yeah, like let's, let's screw whiplash in this situation. Oh, let's put no, Cobalt never, in the never. Like, I feel like everyone gets the short end of the stick at some point. Bad luck comes in all forms, <laughs> which is very true. There have been plenty of teams who've gotten bad luck in other ways. This was just kind of, maybe it's our, our version of the runner-up curse. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, Dude, yeah. I, think, I, I think it'd be fair to say that. <laughs> that makes me feel a little bit better. I hope maybe it makes you feel <laughs> a little bit better. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's rough. And I guess, 
you know, like you said, everybody at some point is probably going to come across some bad luck like that. Um, yeah. But um, I guess the other other side of the controversy, if you're up for talking for, is kind of what I was alluding to earlier, which is, you know, you were Whiplash had an incredible season last season. Number two, yeah. like you came back so strong this season, undefeated. Like, when did you learn that your at least that your first um, you know, postseason match was going to be like a YouTube special? And then like when did you learn about the second one? Like, what were these things that they ran past you ahead of time or like you learned the week of? Uh no, this is this is more like a week of type thing. Maybe not exactly week of, but like not not too far off from where the episode airs. Because, I mean, you also got to know that, like, they're not... I mean, they try to stay ahead with the editing, so they're not panicking to air things. Yeah. But I think sometimes they end up panicking and needing to air things. <laughs> so then they just kind of go, like, this is what's happening this week. Like, you, you got to... You know, this is what's happening. You got to deal with it. So, yeah, that was kind of a case of that. But, like, <laughs> it's funny. As far as our run this season, we kind of had, like... It may not seem like it, but we kind of had problems with Whiplash throughout our fights. Like, in a... Our Bloodsport fight was was pretty good. We didn't really have too many issues. We had some damage. Like, we lost one drive chain because one of our wheels kind of got jammed in. So we were kind of not driving quite right for the second half of that fight. But, like, for example, our Scorpios fight, we had some, like, chain tensioning issues. And the second they got off the screws, we drove and hit a seam. And for, like, two minutes, 30 seconds, we were only driving on two wheels. Wow. So, like, we had we were driving on two diagonal wheels, just dragging the other two wheels around. So for that whole entire fight, like we were, you know, fighting with an arm behind our back, you know, barely hanging on. So, um, yeah, like, I mean, like I said, or I've said before, like, it's good those things happen in the fight cards. Like, for example, Ice Wave went pretty well. And, you know, and that, that's kind of another thing. It sort of, it sucks to go out in a season where, like, strategically, you kind of didn't do anything wrong, necessarily. Yeah. Which is kind of unfortunate that, you know, even, even in the Cobalt fight, things were going pretty well before we got stuck. So, uh, but I don't know. It's just one of those things. We 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 took some risks playing the long fork game, and it uh, it managed to snag us in a way that <laughs> we did not foresee. Yeah, I mean, um, I you know, I guess silver lining. You have left, um, you know, fans this season hungry for more whiplash. <laughs> you know, oh, that's true. Yeah, because we we got like two teases of whiplash in the last two fights, and now you know people are going to be excited for seeing you know what what you come back with. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe there could be more whiplash this year. You never know. Oh, okay, okay. um and you know just to like one one last um note about just like the battle bots editing and production i i do have to like applaud them because you know they i think they protect battle bots from like a lot of other stuff that happens on discovery like there's no like moonshiner bot there's no like uh (laughs) I don't know what are the other show like Ice Road Truckers, oh. <laughs> you know, like they don't they kind of stop a lot of those influences from creeping in. But then there are just some some like very disappointing decisions, like how yeah. they treated Whiplash, and it just doesn't it just doesn't seem right. And so it's you yeah. know the fans yeah. are thinking of you because it just kind of yeah. short stick. Yeah, I think the only thing that like 
really bothers us. Like as far as the decisions that were made in the arena, like that stuff happens. But I think like the sort of dishonest portrayal of it in the episode yeah. was kind of upsetting. Like I that did not sit right with us. But uh, I don't know. That's how it goes sometimes. And oh well. <laughs> sometimes that's how it be. That's how it be. <laughs> I have I have answered so many DMs with that, and then like quoted uh, Brandon from P One. <laughs> yeah. Uh, every every time someone messages us and it's like, oh man, like that sucks. I'm like, this is how it be sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah, that phrase gets a lot of use in uh in oh, yeah. battle bots. So for better, <laughs> better or worse, I guess. Yeah. Okay, we might break some news here. Uh, and then if this is not for public knowledge yet, feel free to you know we'll edit this out. But. Word on the street is that you are currently on the roster for April's Norwalk Havoc. Ah, that that uh, that is true. I will be going to April's Norwalk Havoc. <laughs> me and, uh, okay. Yeah, so me and Calvin Eva will be traveling up there, and uh, yeah, it should be fun. I'm excited. First time. What do you uh, What do you plan on bringing? Are you going to just see the sites? Are you registered <laughs> with a bot? What kind of bot is it? What's it made out of? Tell me how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I am registered with two robots, actually. Wow. So I'll be running a 12-pounder uh, robot called Womper, which is a big horizontal bar spinner that's, uh, you know, fought the last few 12-pound SoCal events. So that robot's, you know, pretty tried and true to this point. So the, the plan was to bring that and then build a beetle weight. And if I finish it, bring it. But it looks like I will finish my beetle. Wow, okay. <laughs> so I'll have a beetle vertical spinner, too, which is like a scaled-up version of my fairy weight. So, yeah, it should be fun. I'm really excited to, you know, I haven't fought on the East Coast since, like, God, Motorama 2018, I think, was the last time I was up there. So it's uh, been a long time. And I've had terrible luck on the East Coast, so I need to redeem that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hear, actually, the April event is going to be a relatively small one um, in, you know, comparison to other other Norwalk Havoc right, events. Originally, so. it was it was scheduled in February. Yeah. And then with an uptick of COVID and some shenanigans, they pushed it back to April, which obviously throws a wrench in a lot of people who travel yeah. from, like, all over the East Coast. Some teams tra- travel internationally. we got West Coast teams. Like, so yeah. you... you, you what you could end up qualifying uh, multiple bots for the final <laughs> in December. Oh, that'd be cool. And uh, you know, a little uh, prize money to replenish the travel fund would be good too. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Are there any uh, competitors at Havoc who you are hoping that you get to go up against? Uh, you know, I'd really like to fight. There's a lot of 12 pounders I'd like to fight. The Beetleweights, there are just so many robots. And I feel like Lynx is in my, uh, you know, he lives an hour from me anyway, so I could fight him anytime I want. <laughs> so I feel like I, I'm really going for the 12 pounders, I think. So I think it'll probably be light on 12 pounders for this event, but uh, it'll be a, hopefully a good first run there. If, if yeah. Lynx is your crosstown rival, that'd be like uh, Muhammad Ali being your boxing instructor. So <laughs> I couldn't imagine a, a a better sparring partner than Calvin and and uh, obviously one of the most dominant Beetleweights ever made. Um, I, I, yeah. I can't wait to see your bot. Yeah, no, it'll, it'll be fun. The 12-pounder the should be a lot of fun. The Beetleweight is not running it, but it should be running soon. And uh, 
No, I'm, I'm excited to compete there. It's, you know, I've always watched the streams and like every time I watch, I'm just like, man, it looks so fun to be there. Like I want to go there. Then I like start looking up flights. I'm just like, oh, it's so expensive. Maybe next time. <laughs> but uh, no, the, the stars aligned this time. And, um, you know, before with school and battle bots and things like that, it was pretty much impossible to plan a trip like this. But now I'm graduated, so I can uh, I could spend money on robot vacations. <laughs> <laughs> robot vacations. I think I'm going to start a new. Uh, I'm going to start my own travel agency. That's. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. Have you uh, have you kicked around the idea at, uh, at all? You know, there's there's many built BattleBots builders that are kind of entering the foray of the uh, 30 pound bracket. Are you uh, kicking around any ideas for a 30 pounder? Uh 30 pounder could be cool. I mean, the way. I see it right now is I have tons of parts for 12 pounders. <laughs> so I can have, I could very comfortably run the 12 pounder I have now without investing too much more money in it. I could build a 30 pounder maybe at some point, probably not this year, but um, I think for this year I'll focus on 12s and then maybe next year if all goes well, I'll, I'll consider it. I've, I've run a 30 pounder before at a Motorama. So I could build another one. We'll see. <laughs> what was that bot about? Uh, it was, a scaled-up version of my old uh, NRL 15-pound robot. It was called Mega Overload, and it was this a two-wheel drive, giant vertical spinner. And uh, both of its fights ended kind of deep six-esque, where I annihilated my opponent and then got stuck in a stupid way. So, <laughs> hence my uh, my bad luck on the East Coast. <laughs> so, uh, you know what? I, I always think that that's a good show, anyway. Oh yeah, no, the the fights I had were amazing, but just the outcome not so amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I get a pension for glass cannons. It's kind of, I don't know why, it's a warm place in my heart uh, for one explosive hit. Oh, yeah. Um, I wouldn't be on the receiving end of something like that. In fact, I would probably be really frustrated if I had a very expensive and sophisticated bot that just got, you know, uh, karate chopped uh, once and both bots explode. <laughs> no, the, the, the robot I'm bringing, it hits really hard, but I think it's just underneath the level of glass cannon, so it should survive itself at least. <laughs> So is it um is it fun being able to compete in lower weight classes with bots that have very different like weapon types than Whiplash? Oh yeah, I no, imagine that yeah. impacts like your driving strategy and and everything. No, that's I I also love it. Like for even before Battle Boss came on the reboot, like me and my brother were doing beetle weights and ant weights like constantly. I mean, just because it was fun and. Like, my brother was more, he'd build a couple of robots and keep improving them. And I was the other side of the spectrum where I would run a robot for, like, one or two events, then scrap it, build new ones, scrap it, build new ones. So I've built, like, I've probably fought with, like, maybe 15 to 20 different vertical spinners through different weight classes alone. <laughs> so it's like, so there, there was a time I was building a lot of robots. But, uh, yeah, no, the smaller weight classes are fun. Like, now the way I see it is, like, I'll watch Battle Boss and I'll be like, man, like, it looks so fun to drive, like, Minotaur or Tombstone. And I'm like, wait, I could just build my own and fight in a smaller weight class. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and then maybe get some insight onto, you know, how to compete against those people if I am driving a robot, you know, similar to it. So, uh, yeah, I'd say there's definitely a – it's definitely not just for fun. It's – there's it's it's useful in lots of ways for Battle Bots, I think, competing in small weight classes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting because Jameson Go, I don't think he misses any of the Norwalk Havocs. Like he is there, I would say, four, at least four out of the six times in the regular season. And he's already qualified, but he continues to show up. And I think it's just he wants that practice. He wants like to get as much insight as he can. And it's like 
you know, it's like, it's just wild. So yeah, I mean, definitely, it, it seems like it has good applications for like outside of just, you know, competing for fun. Yeah, and even just as like a engineering exercise, just designing smaller robots and building them. Because like, you know, a lot of the time for Whiplash, we'll kind of build the same frame every year. And then in the last year, you know, sort of since around when I graduated, I started doing more 12 pounders and you know, smaller weight classes and designing more robots. And it kind of like made me think a little bit more out of the box for the next whiplash. Like, okay, maybe I could, you know, take things that work well on these smaller robots and not just keep building, you know, the same thing every year. So uh, yeah, it's, it definitely carries over for sure. I I love Norwalk, um, you know, especially because it's a playground for rapid prototyping. Yeah. And like, you don't have to feel stressed out about bringing something that's perfect. You can bring something that's wacky and, <laughs> you know, th- you never know what you're going to see there. There might be a robot that is uh, made out of a pizza box or one that shoots uh, literally bubbles out of a bubble <laughs> cannon. Um, so it kind of like it, it, uh, it erases that, that, that wall that makes the sport maybe less approachable from people that are just doing it for fun or, yeah. That um, you know, are are maybe intimidated by the talent that might also be there, and it's just it's great. It's an it's an awesome, amazing place. And it's a, I mean, I haven't been there, so I can't say from experience, but from what I've seen and you know, people I talk to who go, it just seems like a really cool, unique event. And it's honestly kind of amazing that something like this exists, and there's someone willing to put these on <laughs> and do what they do. I mean, through the history of robot combat, like. All like, for example, like Robo Games and all these other huge events like relied on one event organizer who is just willing to put insane amounts of their own money and their own yeah. time into it. Where like to the point it was like extremely irresponsible for you know <laughs> the, for every other aspect of their life. But that is what has kept the sport alive. I mean, for all the years Battle Boss was off the air, it was you know Robo Games and like Motorama and smaller events where it's just one dude with his team of friends hosting this, you know, giant event. And Norwalk Havoc is a little bit unique for uh, <laughs> obvious reasons, if you uh, you know, know who the event organizer is. But uh, yeah, it's awesome that someone like him exists and is willing to do this for all of us. So yeah. We're, we're very grateful to our uh, benevolent, wealthy overlords. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's, it's also really interesting because like he... He doesn't like come from the world of combat robotics before this. So he kind of implements all these rules that he thinks are interesting and that like builders look at at first and they're like, what, why, why would you ever do that? <laughs> but it's just like in the rules and people see like, no, I'm going to try this and see what happens. You know, this isn't legal anywhere else, but uh, if I'm going here, I may as well build something crazy. Yeah. I, I love um, Austin. He's, he's always kind of, um, he's always kind of refining in his head, like exactly what people want to see. And, you know, there, there obviously is, you know, still a, um, an element to Norwalk where uh, we're, we're half baked and we're trying to figure out what exactly we are. Um, But I'm, I'm glad that there is someone there in place that is eternally curious about what people want to see and how to make this thing wild and fun and different. And, um, yeah. that's, that's exactly what it is at this stage right now, uh, where we end up. I mean, time will tell, we just got to kind of figure things out. This is like, this is kind yeah. of the grassroots here. And, yeah. um, you know, it's it, it, what we have going right now, the differentiation of the brackets, the types of bots that we see going, sure. We got a lot of beater bars, but again, bubble <laughs> cannons, 
you know? Uh, yeah. Like inflatable liquid, penguins. Liquid nitrogen being yeah. dumped out of cups onto the floor. <laughs> what? what? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's honestly awesome that, you know, someone that someone like him exists. And, like, there, there are so many events, like, all around the world that are just, like, for example, here, Martin Mason puts on all of our events. For the last 10 years here, wow. he's been putting on events. So, and, you know, lately, this the last couple of years, you know, we've been having 100 plus robots come, you know, to like twice a year events, which is insane. People traveling from out of state and coming here, there's no cash prize or anything. It's like the, you know, super, I guess, grassroots community of builders. But then when you get to like the Norwalk scale of it, it's someone who's like trying to eventually, eventually make it profitable is what I understand, which yeah. is so hard to do in combat robots. I mean, ask... Ask Greg and Trey. <laughs> they will tell you. Ask any any event organizer, even Robo Games. Like that that was the goal there, and they kind of just barely hung on as long as they could. Yeah. So if someone is able to make it sustainable and profitable, if it takes them being you know super wealthy, that's, that's that might be what it takes. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I guess last thing I'll say on this because we have so many listener questions, and I don't I don't want to uh, give them the short shrift, but um, yeah. I see combat robotics and and not just specifically Norwalk Havoc, but I think that they're on the right track. Like, I think that there is a universe where there can be a million people or more like tuning in to something similar to this because who just don't know about it yet or aren't, haven't like tuned in for, for whatever reason. And, and I think that, the possibility is there if people if millions of people around the world are like gathering and filling stadiums so that they can watch other people play video games you know exactly this can happen it's just a matter of growing it in the right yeah, way yeah. but i i'm optimistic that uh that it's possible yeah yeah i, I don't see why normal Kave can't have like a battle box level audience yeah i mean it I think it could, and it'd be a lot less, I mean, I'm assuming a lot less expensive than BattleBots <laughs> to, to make. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we are very excited to see you in April because um, we yeah. will all be there. So that will be a great time. Um, mm -hmm. And good luck. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So we're going to jump into these listener questions. Feel free to treat them like rapid fire. We have a whole ton and we'll try and get, we'll try and, you know, get through them as best we can. Um, the first uh, question is from Alexander Archer. Um, and so he is uh, going back to the Cobalt, Cobalt fight and he wants to know, why do you think it was a split judges decision? Uh, to be honest, I, when we were there at the time, I do not remember like how they, I remember hearing Cobalt one, but I don't remember if it was like unanimous or split. When we saw it on TV, I was just like, wait, that was a split decision. I don't remember that. Like, I thought it was unanimous for Cobalt, but, uh, I mean, I could see why it was split. Like, we had pretty much, I mean, it, it depends how they define control exactly, but I I would say we won control to an extent. They, without a question, won damage. Aggression, probably pretty split. We were both head-to-head -head the whole fight, no matter how short it was. So, um, I, I think, obviously, damage is why they won, and maybe one of the judges probably deemed Cobalt being stuck and not being able to move is some sort of damage. So maybe damage was closer than I thought for that reason. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of my analysis of it. I think as far as judges' decision, I think it was a pretty fair decision. Like we didn't really, 
inflict damage other than them being stuck. And that, what damage that is, you can't know for sure until you look in the robot. So the judges are kind of making an assumption in their head. So, yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah, that's fair. Um, All right, so this is also from Alexander on a different topic. How do you think your brother Jason did in his first season as captain and driver of his own bot? I I think he did great. I mean, he he won some fights. He beat a he beat Riptide. He repaired the robot on the fly. Him and Rob Masek like redesigned all the internals after the first fight, like just in the pits. Wow. <laughs> it was it was like after the first fight, everything inside the robot, other than the motors, was not in the same place it was before. <laughs> it was there were lots of changes made inside that robot at the event, and lots of changes to the like for example the four configuration he had against Ribot was never seen again because one ribot mangled them so badly and he didn't have very many spares. So he just took all the spares and all the mangled ones and just welded them into one giant. Actually, I welded it, but he cut it up and jigged it into this, you know, indestructible front spatula. That was great for Riptide, but uh, not so great for ground game. But uh, yeah, he didn't, he did great. He, I mean, obviously first time bugs. I think the robot could have used more time and more testing, which is to be expected when you, have three or three people working on two heavyweights. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, yeah, I think for a first season, he did pretty good. He got some wins. Can't really ask for much more than that. Yeah. And so far yeah. he's the only person who's actually um, defeated Riptide. So that's oh, his yeah. feather in his cap. Well, uh, well, no, now Riptide is fighting a uh, Sawblaze, which is somewhat similar to Defender. So I'm sure Jameson was uh, taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So he goes on to ask, didn't you mention on one of your Facebook posts that you're planning to figure out how to give Whiplash armor without sacrificing the ability to use the disc next season? Uh, that is true. I do not remember that being on Facebook, but that is probably because the, contrary to what most people to believe, I do not post any of the Whiplash Facebook posts or Instagram yeah. posts. That is all my mom. She does 100% of that. So I think people read that and they just assume it's me, <laughs> which is pretty funny. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, I I do not make any of those posts. But as far as that statement, that is totally true. I think we're trying to move dial back the fork game a little bit and move more back to the, you know, kind of classic whiplash style. I mean, really, this season, for me, I wanted to experiment. And as far as, like, what there was... What we improved on the robot, I think, was pretty sound. As all the fights we lost, the spinner was a non-factor. There were a couple of fights we won where it helped, but like all the vertical spinners we lost to, we were never even really able to get our spinner into them for one reason or another. So I figured make the lifter as robust as possible, armor up the robot, and I mean, to be fair, it worked pretty fantastic. And even with all the problems we had, like we were able to control most of our fights relatively easily. So. It was, uh, yeah, I feel like, like, logically, the changes were pretty sound. They worked pretty well. But I don't know. I kind of kind of missed the old whiplash. <laughs> so uh, I think, and, like, when I kind of made the decision. Oh, and, and we had the spinner set up at the event, ready to go. We went through safety with the spinner. And the plan was if we were to fight a non-spinner, like a flipper, like Blipper Hydra or Hammer Robot or something, we would run the spinner. And if we were fighting another spinner, we run no spinner. So... They just fed us all these spinners. <laughs> so that was the problem. <laughs> uh, if you if you wanted to see the spinner, you should uh, 
blame the blame the selection committee. <laughs> they are why we did not see the spinner. Selection <laughs> committee. I I personally am a fan of the lifter configuration. I think it's really refreshing um, to see a lifter just kind of dominate the way that the lifter you know configuration has. Um, not, I mean, and your your you know spinning uh, weapon is also like really unique. Not to take anything away yeah. from it, but um, yeah, yeah. I uh, I'm a. It's, it's funny, like the people are kind of. I'd say not totally split. I'd say like thirty percent of people are in your camp. They're like, oh, like it's cool to see a lifter, you know, be really competitive with you know the, you know, all these top tier spinners. And then there's I'd say the other closer to seventy percent that are just like, oh, I missed the old, the old spinner with flash. You know, this version is more boring or whatever. So um, I, I think at the end of the day, like, not everyone's going to be happy all the time. So I'm just kind of kind of going to want to do what I think is what I want to do <laughs> and what um, our team decides. But, uh, yeah, we definitely take input. I mean, as far as you guys, here's a question. What would you guys like to see from what Flash next season? Ooh, Chris? Hmm. Um, off-road tires might be a good idea. <laughs> Ah, well, I don't know if we can do that. We already spent thousands of dollars on Brazilian tires <laughs> that will never be damaged where they can't be used. So just assume we will have those forever. Hey, you can't get much better than Brazilian tires. <laughs> That's what I'm told. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that right now um, in a field that has so many strong you know, verts and, and horizontal spinners that it's just a, it's just like to determine like what's the next metaphor for muscly bots, ones that can control ones that can dominate fights. And I'm sure that there is a way to get to that point that doesn't necessarily involve, um, you know, three foot long forks or, you know, some kind of like a means to corral other bots. Um, And I just the same way that there's, there's bots that have re- reimagined what what it means to be a vertical spinner, or reimagined what it what it means to be a horizontal spinner. For like a vertical spinner, I mean like um, uh, like uppercut is like a totally different vert, right? Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm just I'm like, what is the next step for control bots that's not necessarily a plow uh, or? Yeah. Um, you know, the articulating lifter is already, that's, that's pretty unique. Um, but what, what can, what else can be done with it? Well, I mean, here's the thing about control bots. That is my least favorite thing about driving control robot is that it requires you to win the ground game to use your weapon. That is by far my least favorite thing about whiplash is that if you're a vertical spinner, horizontal spinner, drum robot, hammer robot, anything that's not a flipper or lifter, you technically don't need ground game to be effective. And unfortunately, if you are a lifter or a flipper or a suplex robot, you're kind of stuck in that ground game camp where you have you have to get underneath. So it's maybe there's some, maybe a robot that grabs from the sides, <laughs> something like that. I don't know. What's your but, um, thoughts on like the ever increasing fork war that we have seen emerging? Uh, it's, I mean, forks are definitely not the, they're not what is going to win you the event like 100%. Like you saw Endgame versus Minotaur, like the sparks didn't really help them there. <laughs> like they did. So it's a, 
it is a tough balance, but I will say, like, for example, our Scorpios fight is a great example. I think in any other situation where our drive is so damaged so early on in the fight where we can't really, I can't really turn the robot and I could kind of only go forward and backwards, the fact we were still able to control them really had a lot to do with the forks up front. Because as long as I stayed facing towards them, they would drive into me and I could just lift them and really wouldn't have to try that. I really didn't have to maneuver around. So if you have a really good fork setup, it makes your life so much easier. <laughs> I will say that for sure. Yeah. All right. So uh, last question from Alexander. What were some of the challenges the team faced in terms of bringing two robots to the competition instead of just one? That is an interesting question. Well, um, one, one answer we had to this problem, because we knew for a fact, like we knew we wanted to bring two robots, but we also knew that we only have three people wrenching in the pits. <laughs> so that's a... Uh, so on paper, that is a terrible idea. But uh, so we were kind of looking around, like if anyone else wanted to be on our team to help out. And like we asked a few people, but like things kind of didn't really work out. And just out of pure coincidence, like Rob Masek didn't know we had, we're running a second robot. He just messaged us. He's like, hey, can I be on your guys' team this year? And we're just like, actually, we need you to be on our team this year. We are running a second robot and uh, three people are not going to cut it for sure. So uh, he was on our team. That helped a lot. But uh, as far as challenges, I think Whiplash was pretty straightforward this season. It really didn't have that many repairs, uh, you know, for our matches. But uh, Defender, on the other hand, had all sorts of new bot bugs. So honestly, most of the time it was Jason, my dad, and Rob working on Defender. And I was just kind of like alone in my little area <laughs> doing whip, uh, maintaining Whiplash. But uh yeah, I think we've gotten we've gotten pretty good at maintaining robots with very few people. Like it'd be a <laughs> it's there's a lots of teams. Like for example, Black Dragon is a great example. Sawblaze is a great example. Hypershock is a great example of teams with a lot of people, and they know how to use their teammates correctly. Like they know how to give someone a task and how to be super efficient and not have you know too many cooks in the kitchen. So uh, there's some people who can do that really well, and it's really beneficial. But we've kind of learned how to get by with the bare minimum team anyway. <laughs> so uh, it, it, it really wasn't all that bad for us, I don't think. I think we managed it pretty well. Yeah. So we have a question here from Mammoth team member Brandon Bennett Young, who says, Hey, Matt, looking forward to fighting you one day. Who knows? Maybe he'll be in April. So maybe you'll fight there. Because he is always... <laughs> he is always grinding it at uh, at Havoc. But okay, how do you see lifters progressing in BattleBots? There are concerns about non-spinny things dying off, and I'm curious what your take on it is. Well, uh, as far as non-spinny things dying off, they're okay. One reason they're dying off is like a lot of people can't really use them. They they really don't have good luck with them. They're just you know getting hit once by a spinner and dying, which is true. When we fight like a big spinner, like an Endgame or a Witch Doctor or a Bite Force, we have to be winning 100% of the time to win the fight, and they only have to be winning 1% of the time, which means they only need one hit to severely disable us, whereas we need to be having that perfect hit every time we make contact. Yeah. Otherwise, we're in huge trouble because we don't have that you know, knockout power. So if you're driving a lifter, you either have to have a major strategic advantage or you need to outdrive the crap out of them. <laughs> Otherwise, you pretty much have no chance. So uh, that's, I think, uh, really uh, discouraging for a lot of people to build lifters. 
And I think the other side of it, which might, you know, take more effect in the future is BattleBoss doesn't necessarily encourage people to build lifters because they don't really find them all that exciting. So it's BattleBots right now as it is, they want to see more high kinetic energy weapons. And that doesn't mean just spinners. That means flippers and hammers. They want to see like, they want to see violent weapons is, uh, is the best way to put it. So uh, I, I, I mean, unfortunately, I kind of do see a future with not as many lifters for several more reasons than one. That is not why we are putting, we at least plan on putting the spinner back on. That's kind of for our, for our own reasons. But uh, I, I do see lifters kind of dying out to an extent, unfortunately. But uh, I don't know. There's, I mean, there's some guys out there like, uh, like Slamo, for example. I know he's building brand new robot. He's been posting all the stuff about it. You know, he could come back and uh, have something that might give all the spinners a lot of trouble. And, uh, you know, we've managed to you know, find our way around doing that and challenging a lot of the big, you know, vertical spinners and uh, like P1's done pretty good at that. So, um, you no, know, lifters, it's definitely possible to be successful with a lifter, but it is way harder than being successful with a spinner. It is, uh, it takes, there are lots of things that go into it. Yeah. 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 All right. So slightly off topic, Brandon's last question. He always asks really good, um, like personal questions at the end. Uh, what's your favorite band and or favorite song? Ooh, favorite band. Oh, God. That's tough. Oh, man. I am going to a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert in a few months. Nice. And I was going to see the Foo Fighters for the second time, but unfortunately, oh. Taylor Hawkins passed away, so that will not be happening. Yeah. So that is very sad. Very but, sad. Uh, I, I don't know. I have I have lots of favorite bands, but I don't know if I could narrow it down before covid i was on like a concert seeing spree and then once covid happened i was just like man i can't do that anymore it sucks so maybe i'll um, maybe i'll start doing that again <laughs> at least you got it in beforehand yeah that's true yeah that, that like year before covid i don't know what it was i was just seeing everything i could <laughs> all right i am gonna hand you over to our friend kyle hey matt good to talk to you yeah how's it going pretty good man pretty good all the way around um, so I'm going to go on with some more listener questions. Our first question is going to come from Ryan Hunter. Uh, so he wants to know, do you have any interesting stories or fun facts that occurred during the designing and building phase of Whiplash and Defender this year? <clears throat> I always wish there was more in-depth focus on the preseason in the show. I think everybody does, man. We want to see what the inside of your shop looks like. Like Everybody wants that, right? Ah, look, hey, you guys, maybe... Uh... Maybe uh, in the relatively near future, maybe we'll put out some uh, some more shop content, or maybe someone else will put out shop content for us. So <laughs> we uh, you you might be getting to see some of that. But uh, as far as shop stories, honestly, the build season before this last season was <laughs> it was kind of chaotic, to be perfectly honest. Like we were, uh, it was because I mean we were building really four heavyweights. We were building two brand new whiplashes and a two brand new defenders which were a brand new robot that we had a uh, you know never run before and jason had you know designed was designing like crazy just to get it you know manufactured in time and so we could build it so really the build season this year was kind of i had one side of the garage working on whiplash jason had one side of the garage working on defender and my dad was just kind of troubleshooting mostly on the defender side just because there were so many new things in that robot so uh 
yeah, it was a definitely a kind of chaotic build season. And there were certain things on Defender that, you know, we troubleshooted forever and just kind of decided to, you know, throw out and just, you know, not do just because of because of time. But uh, yeah, I'd say uh, the build season was definitely a little chaotic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly that's uh, more robots, more problems. And uh, you had a lot of robots this year and not very big like team as far as people there to build it. Um, so Ryan has a second question. He wants to know, do you have a smaller size whiplash that you practice with? That is a great question. I do not have, other than a uh, whiplash toys, uh, <laughs> that's, that's all I got. But um, it was funny when we showed up to, uh, there's this builder, Kyle, who's a, you know, Southern, I think he's, he's, he's a California insect builder and he builds all these tiny, intricate, super complicated, uh, you know, ant weights and beetle weights and fairy weights. And a couple of years ago, he built an ant weight version of Whiplash that Whoa. was like honestly built more beautifully than the real Whiplash. It was it was insane the work he put into it and how he fit all that stuff in one pound. And uh, when we showed up to the filming, I think we showed up a little bit late, like a day late. And we get there, and most people are unpacked. And on top of our crate, there's the little ant weight Whiplash sitting there. So <laughs> I guess he had, you know showed up before us and just set it on top of our crate. So. His little ant weight whiplash lived in our pit area the whole entire event. That's really cool. Uh, you never like uh, put that with the toy with the real whiplash to get like a "Don't ever talk to my son again" photo, right? I mean, like, <laughs> oh man, I, I want—I probably did take a picture. I'll have to look through my uh, all that camera roll, but I'm—I'm I'm sure I did. I, I don't see myself not doing that. <laughs> there's, there's too many memes that could be made out of that. You need to—you need to find that picture. Oh yeah, I think my favorite thing we did uh, at the event was we went through like a safety test with the spinner on Whiplash, and there's this big giant tire that sits in the arena that like hammer bolts will wail on, and like sometimes spinners will hit and flippers will flip, and we hit it with Whiplash, and we kind of flipped it through the air, and we took a video of that, and then in our pit area we got one of the little like rubber Whiplash wristbands and did the exact same thing with the toy Whiplash, <laughs> and we put both the videos on Instagram, and it was hilarious because they looked like identical how they hit the you know, round rubber thing and fling it in the air. But, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right. So our next questions come uh, from Francois Froplesser. Uh, I'm probably butchering that name. My French is terrible. That's all right. Um, so he says, love whiplash fights. They're always entertaining. What do you think could be done to give control bots more chances in battle bots? One thing I will say that would help control bots is... Okay, so that was kind of the goal of the upper deck. Like, that's that's what it was intended to do, to help control bots and flippers, give them somewhere to place robots since the since the area by the doors was quote-unquote illegal, which <laughs> ended up kind of falling apart. But uh, I I don't know. It's a tough question. The, the upper deck is like, it is an attempt at an answer to this question. I think... One rule that I think should be is maybe, I, I don't know, it's it's hard to say. I think one thing I will say, if the upper deck is there, and certain builders will probably hate me for this, but uh, if there's going to be an upper deck, one, I don't think it should be so big. I don't think it should take so much space in the arena. But I think currently when you put someone on the upper deck, there are zero stakes. Right. It is just taking up space in the arena. And when someone goes up there, they just drive off. Even like, you know, I remember Hijinx was up there with one wheel kind of barely able to move and they managed to climb off. So like with the smallest amount of mobility, you can get off the upper deck as it is. 
So it really, I, I, I really don't think it helped control bots all that much. So um, I think adding more stakes to something that is upper deck like, like maybe a shrunk down version of the upper deck where there is actually some sort of lift that only control bots or only dynamic robots that aren't just four wheel drive verts can climb their way off of, or maybe horizontal spinners can hit the wall and launch themselves off of something that adds more stakes to the equation, if that makes sense. I think that really could help control bots because if you get, if you're slamo and you get a grab on someone, you can put them wherever you want and putting them up there is I'd say about equal to a, you know, devastating shot from a vertical spinner. So I, I really think a reimagined upper deck could be the answer to this question. You, you were like uh, probably the third or fourth person I've talked to about the upper deck where the changes that you've made to the upper deck are more like making it a pit, but not a pit because we're American. There was a, in the old Robo Games days, like 2004, 2003, they had a pit in the arena that was, it was pretty small. It was like four by six feet or something. And it was only about two inches deep with like kind of little ramps on the sides. Right. So only like half the robots were able to get out. I think they called it like the pit of inconvenience because like some robots would go in there and just barely not be able to get out. But like others with high ground clearance, like the sewer snake type robots could, you know, climb their way out. So I think something like that could be cool that encourages not just being the super low to the ground, you know, end game style robot or, you know, something like that. I don't know. Something like that would be cool. More terrain. I agree with that a thousand percent. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Things that make life difficult for bots like Endgame. <laughs> um, now, not to single them out, but I think just something that encourages more dynamic robots and makes people think twice about just building, you know, a four-wheeled base with... I mean, someone like Hypershock is a four-wheeled vertical spinner, but I'm sure they would be fine with it because they are not, you know, stuck to the ground like all these other robots. So, um, yeah. Um, all right, so next question from Francois. Your parents seem to have successfully passed the passion for engineering to their sons. What would your advice be for all parents trying to achieve the same? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, in, in our case, it was not necessarily them trying to make us like BattleBots or anything like that. I think it was when we were little, like our dad did BattleBots. And like as a little kid, like especially I was like obsessed with it. And like my brother was younger, but he eventually became almost as obsessed as me <laughs> to an extent. So there kind of came a point where my dad was ready to like kind of stop doing BattleBots. And, you know, me and Jason were just like, we want to keep doing this. Like, this is fun. We want to go to events and compete. So I don't know. I think a lot of it is just, you know, having a genuine interest and really wanting to do it. And uh, I think now is like a better time than ever for that just because, you know, the success of BattleBots on TV for the last, what, seven years now? So uh, I think the the amount of kids watching BattleBots and saying, I want to do that. It's I mean, BattleBots is really one of the few things that really makes engineering look fun. And I mean, uh, what Stephen Felk, who built like Voltronic and, you know, some, some old school BattleBots, I think he called it like stealth learning, where when you're doing BattleBots, your goal is to build a robot to have fun, to cause destruction, to do something cool but you're kind of accidentally learning all these incredibly useful things that will probably get you a job in the future. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it really comes down to just having a genuine interest in, in BattleBots or something like BattleBots and just, I don't know, just following it and doing whatever you can, just building whatever you can, whatever you can get your hands on. 
I mean, if you can order a, you know, a Viper kit from FingerTech and build a little robot, go to a local event. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that that would be my answer. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, all right. So our next couple of questions come from Stephen Dufort. So he says, uh, one quality I always see from your whole family that doesn't get talked about enough is how gracious you are in defeat. How did your parents instill that into you and your brother growing up? Uh, I don't know. That is, that is another good question. Uh, I don't know. I think they're, I mean, it could just be how we're wired. <laughs> I really, I really don't know. I mean, we, that, that is a good question. Some people are, I mean, people are different. I think we're, uh, I mean, had we, I mean, I don't think me and my brother were, you know, kids who necessarily acted out all that much when we were little. And I don't know, part of that was, part of that was probably luck. And part of it was, you know, certain things our parents taught us. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think sometimes you just need to like consciously think like, even if I am super upset by this outcome, like is being angry on national television and, <laughs> you know, getting super <laughs> upset really my best course of action here, like. I, I don't know. I think it just takes a certain level of level-headedness <laughs> to, to, you know, figure out the right way to react to a situation. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect yeah. sense. Um, all right, so his next question is going to lead me to ask you another question, but I'm going to ask you this question first. How much time do you need to practice throughout the year to maintain your, tro your top driver status? Would, would you believe me if I said zero? <laughs> yeah, I would. I feel like that's most most teams get zero stick time. It's I I really don't know. I think I think a lot of it is just experience, having lots of fights and learning your robot well. I think part of it is just having driven whiplash for so long. It's like it's I mean honestly driving that robot's like second nature at this point. Uh, and I mean honestly I think combat robots is unique in the sense it's something that people can get good at really fast like no matter who you are and it could become becoming a really good driver becoming a really good good builder so uh, i i don't know and i think a lot of it is like not necessarily your driving skill but the decision making you make in the arena like one choice might make you look like a fantastic driver and one choice you might not be any worse of a driver but you could have just made a dumb choice and yep. you know it makes you look you know, look like you're not a great driver. So, um, I, I don't know. Honestly, the only time we really practice driving Whiplash is before the event when it is finished, <laughs> and that is kind of minimal, really. And you don't have any smaller robots that are are of a similar design. Do you have robots that are like harder to drive than Whiplash, or something that kind of like adds to your skill? I, I think anything smaller than a heavyweight's harder to drive. Really, I mean, heavyweights are like slow motion beetleweights. Um, so, I mean, honestly, that probably helps. All the small robot experience I had probably, you know, helped helped my driving. But I think a lot of it is just, like, the relationship you have with your robot and, like, forming, I guess, uh, I guess just, just having experience with it and uh, not having to think about. I mean, Whiplash is a robot that has a lot of stuff going on. You know, spinner, lifter, drive, I'm controlling all of it myself. But it's kind of to the point where it doesn't feel like that, and it's really just second nature. So, um uh, I think fight experience is the most important thing. I, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. All right, so this this leads to my question. In your opinion, who is a better driver in BattleBots than you, than Matt Vasquez? <laughs> so that's, I mean, that question is really, 
to an extent, impossible to answer because every robot is so different. I mean, for example, in this last episode, like Daniel Freitas fighting against Endgame, he did like some move escaping from Endgame on one wheel, doing like a yeah. 360 gyro flip, coming out of the short corner and escaping like sure death. Like that in was that, in those three minutes, literally no one could beat Daniel Freitas in that box. That was exactly, amazing. and no one can drive like him because no one drives his robot. There is right. no other robot that drives like Minotaur drives. There's no robot that has the ability to escape like Minotaur does. And he has been driving Minotaur, Tor Maximus, Toro, all these robots for well over a decade, like 15 years at this point. So kind of like me with Whiplash, like him driving that is like second nature. Like he is connected with that robot. He can make it do whatever it wants. And sure, people always, everyone makes driving mistakes. But uh, yeah, everyone's robot's so different. So like, for example, one thing I will say about Whiplash though is that I do think because a lot of robots are you know either a flipper, vert, or a horizontal spinner, and most of the time driving those robots. I mean, I've driven lots of vertical spinners, and <laughs> funny enough, Whiplash is the only lifter I've really driven. But I've driven horizontal spinners, vertical spinners, and I don't think anyone else has really driven a robot like Whiplash. So one thing I would say is I think most people would probably struggle pretty badly driving Whiplash. Whereas I think I could probably handle driving most other robots pretty well. But, uh, I mean, other than that, there's really, there's no way to measure this because everyone's robots so different and everyone's doing something different. So it's, uh, you, you, you can't really say. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah, like your style is completely different than what Will Bales is doing, just drifting around the box looking for angles. Like it's a, it's a yeah. whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so next question comes from Bloodsport team member Curtis Honeycutt. Um, if you could add or change one rule to BattleBots, what would it be? <laughs> well, I actually I, I came up with an interesting unstick rule How that uh, I, I do think would be cool to implement. My idea, and, it, and I will say it would not change the outcome of our Cobalt fight. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so this rule isn't just totally biased. But... Uh, my rule would be that in the fight card, I mean, to be honest, unsticks, they don't happen all that often. It's it's something that is not a huge problem until it happens once. Like, it's not happening every fight. It only happens, you know, a few times a season for the most part. But uh, my idea would be that in the fight card matches, basically the premise behind it is I don't think there should ever be a human going in the arena to unstick a robot from the arena. I, I don't think that should ever happen unless it's at the end of the fight and they're deactivating the robots. So my proposed rule would be that in the fight card rounds, if there is a stuck robot, for example, Cobalt versus Duck, great example. Cobalt is stuck on the floor. Duck was getting his butt kicked that whole entire fight. To the selection committee, it does not, even though Duck won, they really, Duck really didn't win. They're not going to judge that all that well. So uh, my rule would be that if you are Duck in that scenario and you go to free Cobalt off the floor, so they don't get counted out, you get an automatic three aggression points. And if you already have one or two aggression points, it overflows into the other categories. So you would have like a nearly guaranteed judge's decision if you free your opponent, and your opponent would basically be forced to knock you out. So in doing that, you are giving the stuck robot a chance rather than having you know totally ambiguous unstick rules or just allowing them to be counted out even though they were totally winning that fight. So it gives them a chance, but it also gives the other robot a reason to free their opponent. 
I mean, obviously, I would hope that something like this would, like, say, Duck did free cobalt in that situation. The selection committee would look at that and go, okay, like, that, that you know, makes us think better of you than we did before, that you undid this, that you unstuck this robot and, you know, kept the fight going, that we're going to maybe put you a few spots up in uh, our selection process and give you a better chance at the tournament. So, I don't know. I th- honestly, I think, in general, the rules, they should try to make everything happen between the robots and just try to limit human interaction as much as possible. I really think doing that, it uh, encourages more chaos, which is, I think, great for the show, <laughs> great for the fights, and uh, it discourages, uh, you know, controversial rulings. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I, I actually really like that idea. That's super interesting. Oh, yeah, and by the way, this would only apply in the fight card rounds. If you're in the tournament, there really no is no incentive to... To, you know free your opponent like even if they give you points if you leave them stuck you get into the next round so uh, if it's in the tournament i honestly think you get stuck like you're kind of out of luck but um as far as the fight card rounds i i do like that idea yeah that's a great idea um all right so if you could add or remove any element of the battle box what would it be i think i would remove the kill saws because they never come out and when they do come out like occasionally they don't really add too much excitement and they have the potential to like turn someone's fight upside down for no good reason. So I, I think the randomized hazards should probably go like as far, which is really just the kill saws. I mean, I like the screws, the screws, you know, I think add something for control robots, uh, the pulverizers, you know, add something to an extent, but I, I really don't think the kill saws have any, any effective purpose other than, you know, occasionally making some sparks. So, uh, yeah, I would get rid of the kill saws. Now, I really don't think we need more hazards. I think the screws are, have been have added to BattleBots. I think the upper deck has potential to be something that's useful. Uh, pulverizers are, you know, they're fun, but they're not, they're really never a fact. They're not a factor too often, so. Sure. Yeah, that's that's what I would say. What do you, what about the heck razors? Should those be uh, implemented more? Uh, are you talking about the the little nubs? That the whack a moles. Yeah, they they used to be called hell razors, but then uh, <laughs> then we got on ABC and they got rid of that name. Oh man, well, uh, like I'd say I'd say get rid of them, just like the kill saws, because their initial purpose was to like hinder the ground game, where I think they hinder end game just as much as they hinder tombstone. So I really don't know how that is hurting anyone's ground game other than there being a hole in the floor. So um, I would, I would, anything that comes out of the floor, I would remove. <laughs> That's my official opinion. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, all right. So this is a question from Melissa Day Pratt. When the season is over, do you ever meet up with the other BattleBots contenders um, and do a little rematch on the side? That sounds like an expensive uh, on the side there, but <laughs> Yeah, and, and wh- where would you do it? <laughs> that's another question. Uh, oh, you'd have to go to Vegas. The arena's up full-time now, right? Oh, that's true. You could um, sneak in and uh, load up in the arena. But uh, actually, fun fact, in the Comedy Central days, there was a certain team who got banned for doing that. They snuck into the venue at nighttime and loaded the robot in the arena to test with none of the crew there. And that was uh, <laughs> grounds for being banned, apparently. So don't get any ideas, anyone. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. As far as, I mean, the builders hang out all the time, like pre-COVID days. Like, I remember Robo Games and, you know, Motorama and 
BattleBots, all these events. Like normally, if everyone's not too exhausted, like everyone will will like load a BJ's with like 200 builders and uh, you know stuff like that is so much fun. But uh, the last few years, it hasn't been as much of a thing for uh, for obvious reasons. But uh, yeah, the builders for sure socialize. And like when we go to BattleBots, most of us don't see each other more than once a year. So it's a it's like a it's a big reunion. So we try to do as much socializing as we can. Um, all right, so we're gonna move on to a question from Drew Monteith. Uh, what has been your favorite match at the helm of Whiplash, and which robots that are competing this year or previous years have you not wanted to get matched up against? As far as not wanting to get matched up against, like I really don't think there's anyone I don't want to fight unless it's like someone I fought like three times already, and like I'm like we've already done this, like <laughs> we know how this goes because. I, I, at the end of the day, I want to fight everyone, so I would rather, you know, get new robots. But uh, as far as my favorite match, that is a close tie, and one of them is actually not a battle boss match. I would say our Robo Games fight against Toro Maximus was probably one of my favorite fights ever, just because that was a match we went into expecting to get, like, absolutely obliterated, and, like, at Robo Games, that was kind of like our Cinderella, Cinderella story run even before the 2018 season of BattleBots. And uh, we didn't really expect too much of ourselves, and we just kind of pushed through the bracket. And I think it was the semifinals we fought to our Maximus, and, like, we barely snuck out a knockout in the fight. We got him stuck on the wall. And, like, that was an insane moment. And then I'd say equal to that was Bronco in 2018. That was absolutely insane, <laughs> beating Bronco back then. Because back then they were, what, like, the number two seed. They were super scary. They... They were definitely, like, in the big three of BattleBots, like, back then, you know, Tombstone, Bronco, Bite Force. So, uh, beat, beating them back then was absolutely insane. I think that, as far as BattleBots fights, that, that one takes the cake, yeah. for sure. Yeah, for sure. And they were, what, what did uh, they call it? The bully of the battle box. That's what their, their like, moniker was back then. <laughs> I love that. Um, so Drew also adds, I would also like to say it's really unfortunate for Whiplash, uh, the Whiplash team that the fans only got two out of your four fights aired this year. Uh, I think literally everyone shares that sentiment. Um, yeah, I mean, YouTube exclusives are great and all, but uh, we, we'd love to see you on the air for sure. Ooh, sometimes it just be that way. <laughs> Boy, do it. Boy, do it. All right, so our next question comes from Sumi Shik. If BattleBots left Discovery, what platform would you like to see it go live on? <laughs> the Science Channel. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, that would be. I mean, what, what else? Even smaller what budgets, a, though. Maybe a Comedy Central. Some executive from Comedy Central is going like, "Oh my god! Like, I can't believe we got rid of them. <laughs> we need them back. <laughs> we need them but, back, and please hire Carmen Electra again. That would be perfect." <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's I mean, Discovery is pretty fantastic for it because I mean, what other channels kind of? I mean, Science Channel obviously, but what what other channels would this fit well on? It's I mean, I I don't know. I don't watch all that much TV to be honest. But um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Most people who are in the demo for this don't watch much TV. I think that the the platform that it would go live on would be Twitch, right? Yeah. Like you know something similar. That would be that would yeah. be the next kind of step there. Or, or like streaming like Netflix or something or yeah something like that. But I mean, in, in the future, that's where it will be. Like cables, its, it's days are limited. So, um, you know, if BattleBots can continue for the foreseeable future, I, I think, I mean, I, I would guess in the next few years there will be some sort of transition. Something. I mean, even Discovery Plus, they are already with Bounty Hunters, I think, doing like a, 
I mean, this is just my speculation, but a uh, soft transition to streaming. Sure. So I, I think that that will be the future for sure. So that kind of leads me to my next question from Ben Moak. He says, should the spinoff shows continue given how they cut into the filming time of the main show? <laughs> the, uh, his, the spinoff, like Bounty Hunters is really cool, but it's so interesting because like then you are faced with a decision. Do I, do I put all my effort into the main tournament where you really will not win that much money? But then again, you have the chance to win the giant nut. But then again, you can enter into a bounty and with debatably less effort win a lot more money. So it's 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 a tough spot. I mean, personally, I think Bounty Hunters is pretty cool. And I think it's cool that there's like somewhere, like if you are eliminated early, you could have somewhere else to, you know, fight your robot and keep, you know, stay, stay in BattleBots mode. So for that reason, I like it. But it does kind of offer that dilemma of, you know, should the competitors and bounty hunters be compensated better than people in the main tournament? So it's a, it's it's hard to say. Uh, um, yeah, that makes sense. All right, so our next question comes from RoboCast host Sam Elliott, who you did an interview with earlier this week. Great guy. Uh, hello, Sam. Uh, he uh, says, uh, "My yeah. question is, given, um, given they're both excellent drivers and competitive, has Matt and Jason ever had a falling out?" over a competition where they fought each other? <laughs> well, back, I mean, certainly not recently. <laughs> it's, um, but um, I don't know, because in the, back in like, like 2013 to like 2015, we were like super into insects, like ant weights and beetle weights, like crazy into it, super competitive. And uh, I, <laughs> I have one memory of at RoboGames, this was, I mean, we were both like, I don't know, I was like 15 and Jason was like 12 or 13. And we got pitted against each other first round in Robo Games for Beetleweights. I had like a four-wheel drive overhead cutter. And my brother had this drum bot that was like, at the time, it, it was, I mean, it's kind of like Shredder Bro-esque, but like back in 2014 or whatever. So it was super dominant back then. So um, I remember we got pitted against each other first round and we were just like, oh man, this like sucks. Like why do we have to fight each other first round? And like my brother's robot back then was like won way more events than mine did. And I remember my, my dad was even just like, you know, like Matt, like you should just like forfeit this one and like you guys just don't destroy each other. And I was just like, oh no, I don't want to do that. So we ended up fighting each other. I ended up somehow winning the fight. I pinned him, cut through his top plate, you know, cut into his internals and won the fight by knockout. So I was just like, okay, like, you know, good thing I didn't forfeit because I, <laughs> I really didn't think I'd win that. So then eventually we both end up in the losers bracket. We are like, Robo Games had a ton of beetle weight. So we were, you know, both of us were like six fights in or something. So then we're getting to the sort of end of the tournament and we go to fight each other. And my brother does not want the same thing to happen to him. And so he's looking for things to like attach to the top of his robot so I don't cut through. And I guess I was more prepared than him. So I had like a bunch of like spare titanium sheet and Jason was like, he's like, oh, he's like, he's like, can I like have your titanium sheet to put on the top of my robot so you can't cut through? <laughs> and at the time I was just like, no way, you can't do that. Like this is, I came more prepared. That's, you know, that's how it goes. So I ended up not giving him the sheet, but then he ended up winning for, I don't, I don't remember what happened in the fight, but he ended up winning the fight anyway. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. That was like. One of our more like competitive like 
you know, we, we both really wanted to win moments, but uh, other than that, we've, I don't think we've ever had any real problems <laughs> competing against each other. We're, we're pretty supportive of each other, especially these days. Like, it's, um, no, nah, for sure. It changes a lot when you get older, too, for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, next question is from Copperhead team member Chad New. He says, do you use your robot fame to get chicks? <laughs> uh, I, I do not know how to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty funny question. But, That's um, a pretty funny question. I... I would say no. <laughs> Me and Jason have girlfriends, so I don't think uh, I think that would be frowned upon. <laughs> well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Then that's the question, right? Did your girlfriend start dating you because of BattleBots? <laughs> I I would say probably no, <laughs> but uh, they are good sports about it. I will say that. That is that you got to have that. That that it doesn't work any other way, right? Oh yeah, no. They you you eventually reel them into that world. <laughs> it's it's inevitable. You have to, yeah. Um, all right. So Sean Peterson says, "I know it's tradition that builders give each other parts from their match against one another. What's the coolest thing you guys have gotten from an opponent? Um, and what's the part where you wish you could have gotten from maybe the Comedy Central days? Ooh, that's interesting. You weren't really super involved in the Comedy Central days, I'd Ooh. imagine. I don't know. I remember seeing there were some uh, parts from a backlash on eBay that I. I seriously considered bidding on, but um, I did not bid on them. So maybe, uh, maybe I should have done that. That would have been pretty cool. But uh, that would have been cool. Parts, robots. I am looking at a pile of robot parts behind me that are on display in my room. I see just what I see in front of me. I see a Bloodsport wedgelet. I see a Lockjaw top plate, a Black Dragon wedgelet, a Hydro wedgelet, a Gruff uh, fuel tank. Two pieces of Valkyrie, a huge eye, and a Scorpio's wheel. So, uh, I don't know. All those pieces are, um, I don't know. That's just what's in my room. I think in the garage, we've got, like, some Yeti pieces, Sawblaze pieces, Minotaur. I don't know. Honestly, they're all pretty equal. I, I, I think one of my favorites is probably the Hydro Wedgelet. I think just because, like, it's the, they're, like, the king of the ground game and the, the Hydro Wedgelet proves that we got underneath it. <laughs> maybe, maybe for now I'll say that one, but I I can't say for sure. That's fair. That's fair. Um, all right. So one more question for you. Um, so our friend Lindsay Eureka, she wants to know what are some of the behind the camera or in the pit stories uh, from this last season that you'd like to share? I know you were probably busy as all get out, but. Did you have any time for shenanigans or hanging out with friends or doing something fun? Oh, we, we were super busy this season. I Shenanigans. I really don't know if there was all so much going on, at least for us in the pits this season, other than building. I'd say just in general, having Rob Masek in the pits was super fun. And he was... Rob Masek can do the work of three team members in one. And he, like, adapted to our team extremely well. Because I think, I think he, like kind of appreciates our way of doing things where not all of our stuff is crazy CNC'd and we have lots of manually cut pieces on our robot. So uh, I, I think he enjoyed working on our robots and he is he is very funny, very fun to have around. So um, I, I think the whole Rob Masek experience was a... <laughs> Was a it was a great part of our season for sure. He was a great fit, like a great guy to fit in your team. When we interviewed Mark from uh, from Lucky earlier this year, he was telling us that he has 
pieces on the original or the last version of Lucky that he still can't get untightened because Rob is just such an incredibly strong and powerful human being. <laughs> I, I, I believe it. Um, I think after a couple of Jason's fights, at least I remember for sure the Riptide fight, like Rob just like lifted Jason like four feet in the air after the <laughs> decision was announced. So um, yeah, no, he's, he's a lot of fun to have and he is a fantastic teammate for sure. That's awesome. Uh, well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I know you probably had uh, more than more than a few people interested in talking to you considering the controversies and all the fun stuff from this past week. So thank you for taking the time to hang out with us. Yeah. Um, we really appreciate it. And we cannot wait to see you and the rest of the team in the battle box again soon. Yeah, no, we, we will be back. And uh, yeah, thank you for having us or having me. <laughs> After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're traveling to Hong Kong for kind of a weird one. Luke, thank you for finding this. Uh, Where researchers have built magnetic slime that they believe could eventually be used to retrieve objects that people accidentally swallow. Uh, And fun fact, I have a friend who is a surgeon and she had to spend a lot of time working in an ER. And you would be surprised what people both swallow and end up with them uh, internally uh, in all kinds of ways. So this is actually a necessary uh, robot, I would say. Um, The slime is capable of sliding down a person's throat and finding the object in the patient's stomach, encasing it, and then somehow exiting the body. Now, to be clear, the researchers did not say how it exits the body, so I will leave that up to your (laughs) creative interpretation. It bursts out of your stomach like the movie Alien. (laughs) Their next goal is to embed robotic functions inside the slime so it can be more autonomous and, uh, yeah, again, burst out of your stomach. Um, This is wild and crazy, and I have a lot of complicated thoughts about it. What do you guys think? Honestly, I think the person who invented this thing was bipolar. (laughs) It's a magnet joke. (laughs) Obviously I did not get a very, I did not get a very positive reaction there. (laughs) No, you got a, you had a very polarized crowd. And now Lindsay's, Lindsay's looking at me like she's less attracted to me by the minute. Um, Kyle, you have children. Have they ever swallowed something like a like a toy car or something weird that you wish that you had slime to help uh, retrieve for you? No. Well, Hudson swallowed a quarter once, and that was highly entertaining. Uh, it was a lot of time in the ER getting X rays and such. Um, but at the end of the day, the only thing you can really do in that situation is wait for him to pass it out, and that's what he did. So, yeah, we do have some great x-rays of him with a, you know, just glowing circle in the middle of his abdomen. So that's fine. You, I know you get, you got especially concerned when he ended up um, passing two dimes and a nickel. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I uh, you know, I was quite surprised by that, but the doctor said it's pretty common. So what are you going to do? All right. Well, that's about it for us today. 
Uh, Nicole, thank you so much for editing all of our uh, our misadventures here. Uh, we'd also like to thank Nelly the Elliebot Captain Sarah Malian for prov- providing our amazing uh, new outro music. Uh, here's to the giant nut. Uh, it's a big one. I can't wait to watch this episode. Uh, thank you all. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then. Bye. Slash and burn. Bye, everybody. There once was a bot who's from the sea. The name of the bot was the Kraken of Teeth. The lights went up, the buzzer sounds, although my scaly girl go. Soon may the spinner man come to knock her teeth right from her gums. One day when the fighting is done, she'll take her teeth and go. She'd not been two weeks from shore When out did come her metal jaw The captain called all hands and swore He'd take that spinner in tow <laughs> Soon may the spinner man come To knock her teeth right from her gums One day when the fighting is done She'll take the